We really can't. Oh, and our preachers arrived. Oh, can I do the introduction? Oh, this is like the best thing, folks. This is so awesome. I want you to meet Matt Skolnick, our new General Presbyter of Muskingum Valley. Yay! How are you? I'm well. So you have to know, he is, um, he's our preacher today because Dave invited him to be so, and, um, and you will be blessed. Um, Matt is a man of deep compassion and conviction, and he is going to challenge and stretch us all. So, do you want to say anything? No, um, nice to meet you. <laughs> Wonderful. I'm just going to sit and enjoy. And, um, I don't want to take away from your time. Okay. So, here we are, and we have some new faces. So, we're going to do a quick catch up. We are in the book of Daniel, and we're looking at Daniel through the lens of faithful living in a culture of seduction. Um, and with it, we're looking at the practices that emerge through each chapter with each week that help inform us in terms of our own journey. In the first chapter, we had Daniel um, with his three friends having been carried into exile. And in that exile, they're struggling with what do they hold fast to and, and what do they yield? What is essential and what is not essential? And in that, Daniel and his friends resolve that they are not going to eat from the king's table. Now remember that um, King Nebuchadnezzar was brilliant in his strategy and his takeover of Jerusalem. It was a friendly captivity. He invited all of the brightest and the best who had been carried into exile all those hundreds of miles to Babylon. He had invited them to be part of a very special training program. And with that executive education, they were also going to be fed at his table. But Daniel and the youth looked at that table, and they're like, we're going to be um, just mush. Our brains are going to be mush. We're not going to actually have the clarity of thought. We're going to begin to forget who and whose we are. And so with that, they said, Actually, we'd really like to have just the plain old vegetables, please. We're going to go with a vegetarian diet, and we're not going to drink. So if that's okay with you, this is what we're going to do. And the king's commander was a little nervous because, you know, if those youth were not looking so good, it was going to be his hide. So they did a two-week test, and actually they were looking better. And at that point, the commander took away the food from everybody and said, we're on that diet. So for those who have been here for the last two weeks, we actually looked at that relationship between prayer and fasting. That in fact, if we um, are just fasting but without prayer, it's a bad form of dieting. But when we fast with intentionality, it allows us to be more attentive to our prayer life. And it prepares us for those moments of crisis. And we've looked at some of the things that we might be attentive about fasting from, whether it was from worrying or um, from sugar or from tea or from wine. Whatever it was that we could actually set aside understanding that we weren't just going to set it aside, but we were going to take that time and give it to prayer. I'm doing a funny day. Um, so then, 
Last week, we looked at the reality that Nebuchadnezzar, who had everything, was not at peace. He, in fact, was having these awful dreams. And so he challenged um, all of his wise men and magicians to interpret the dream for him with one little catch. I need you to interpret my dream. I'm really having a bad time at night, but I'm not going to tell you the dream. So you have to both know the dream and interpret it. And his wise men said it's impossible. You tell us the dream, we'll interpret it. No, what kind of wise men are you? No way. Well, at this point, he's getting really angry with all of his wise men. So he, being the king, decides to put them all to death. Now, Daniel and his friends are part of that grouping of wise men. Remember, they've gone through the executive training program of the king. And so they're put to death, too. Except that Daniel then, with wisdom and tact, says, could you tell me why you want to put us to death? Maybe, maybe, if you give us a little opportunity to uh, pray on this, because remember, they've been fasting, and fasting and prayer are a partnership. Maybe we can interpret those dreams that you've been having for you. And so there's a stay of enforcement. The wise men are not put to death. And with that, um, Daniel and his friends go to prayer. And through that intentional prayer, for which there has already been a strong foundation. I need to underscore that, folks. It isn't like Daniel goes, okay, let's try out this prayer thing. Daniel's been praying steadfastly through all of this. It's kind of like if any one of us, without any conditioning, without any training, thought we'd go run a marathon. Yeah, right. No, Daniel's been a prayer warrior his entire life. He has been attentive to what he needs to do to maintain his core identity in God. And now the crisis point comes, and he is able, with the support of his prayer partners, to actually engage in deep prayer and surrender to God. And God speaks into that. And he is able to then both tell the king his dream and interpret it for him. And by the way, again and again, part of the refrain is going to be that it is to God be the glory. It isn't about me. It is about my yielding to the Holy Spirit and God working through me. So last week, we actually made a commitment to either be more attentive to our prayer partnerships or to actually pray up um, those whom God would have us partner in prayer. So I don't know um, if there's anybody who kind of wants to report in. There's no pressure here. But how'd last week go? We're feeling a little shy today. Oh. Well, we were not here last week, so I didn't know that... That was an assignment, but um, I can talk about a time, well now, it would probably be about 30 years ago, because I think I was in my 30s, <laughs> and uh, 
and I actually did a, a fasting that was part of, um, I think at the time it was part of um, the Bible study that I was in, and decided that we would try to do that. I actually fasted for almost a month. And I got to tell you, I spent a lot of time in prayer because I can remember being upstairs in the bedroom. They were downstairs eating pizza. And so it was a food, it was a food fast. And I was actually very successful. But I tried, I tried to fast like that years later. And I, and it wasn't, it wasn't because I was trying to lose weight. It really was a, a fasting, um, for, you know, for prayer life and stuff. It was great. But when I tried to do it years later, I, I had a very hard time focusing. And so I wasn't near as, as successful. Well, I would tell you that I don't do well fasting unless it is in community, both with the accountability of community and the support of community. And I felt like I was just the biggest failure on that front. And finally, it took me a long time to confess it to my spiritual director. And she just laughed. And she said, but Debbie, that's the whole point. We're supposed to be in community. You're not supposed to be doing this solo. Oh, my Lord, the relief I felt. And can you imagine if I'd made that confession early on? I wouldn't have had to carry it for all that time. Because I do think there is a, you know, there are seasons. um, And we need that support in the midst of it. All right, so today we are going to actually uh, go into the fiery furnace. So we've had a a focus on Daniel, um, but now we're going to shift to the three friends. And as we do that, I want to share a slide because remember, folks, this isn't about Sunday mornings. This isn't about, oh, today is our day at church. This is about how our lives are shaped and formed by the word in relationship with the triune God. It is about those practices that actually empower us to faithful living um, in the world with that understanding that we're to be in the world. Not always of it. In fact, not necessarily of it. Oh, that's kind of weird. Did I lose something? Oh, much better. So I want to talk about some core practices um, that have actually um, been significant in creating a rhythm of life, if you will. A lot of um, articles these days are being written about mindfulness. Well, that's just the culture's way of talking about seeking the mind of Christ. In Philippians 2, um, we are um, introduced to what is a practice called kenosis, of emptying ourselves, of all the distractions that get in the way of our relationship with um, God in Christ, and to take on the mind of Christ. And so when we talk about prayer and fasting, when we talk about prayer partners, when we talk about living in community, it is so that together we might not only retain but deepen our identity that is born out of um, being in Christ. And that comes with seeking the mind of Christ. You know, um, I loved when Tony Campolo was here. And he had his red-letter disciples, and, um, and it was kind of building out of the, what would Jesus do? And, and as corny as that sounds, that's a piece of the mind of Christ. 
It also means bearing the hope of the resurrection. Now, here's the challenge, folks. What needs to precede resurrection? Yeah, death precedes resurrection. How many times have we actually wanted something to work out, but in order for us to take hold of the new thing that God is doing, we have to let go of the old? Death precedes resurrection. And if we are going to bear the hope of the resurrection, we can't go back and try to hold on to everything as it has been. That's hard stuff. So as we live into this study of Daniel, we're going to see again and again that the reason that Daniel can serve God in such a profound way is that he is constantly sifting. Do you know that the word discern means to sift? It's to sift out, not between good and bad, but between good and faithful. What is essential here? That I can bear hope to people in exile in an in-between time. The tender reality is some of God's most profound work happens in in-between times, happens in those seasons when we feel like we are in exile, where nothing makes sense again. And by the way, as I said to Dan, you know what? I woke up at 3 in the morning and I went, dang, I'm in exile. But I wonder what might happen if our attention shifted from resisting the experience of exile, from resisting the letting go, to nurturing the practices, prayer and fasting, prayer partners, and we'll continue building on those practices so that we might intentionally seek the mind of Christ, so that we might intentionally bear the hope of the resurrection, so that we might be clothed with compassion. Now there's another practice, and we'll get it up later, which is play or delight. What happens when we delight ourselves in the Lord? The psalmist says in our translation, God will give you the desires of your heart. Actually, the word in Hebrew is God will heal the desires of your heart. So mind of Christ hope of the resurrection, clothed with compassion. I think we're going to see these practices or these behaviors played out again and again between Daniel and his friends. Now, here's the reality. When we are attentive to these practices, we actually are able to be attentive to faithful living. In fact, it just stems from them. But when we get into those times, anybody ever not had time to pray? It's okay, you don't have to own up to it. Have you ever thought, how weird is that? <laughs> that we could actually think we don't have time to pray? Martin Luther used to say, I don't have time for anything today, therefore prayer must be four hours. No, it was a slightly different world. At least I like to tell myself that. When we have a rhythm for our lives, and you see there is wisdom in this because I bet you Dave's going to challenge us all to a rhythm as we live into this year. It's amazing 
how faithfulness can stem from that, how discernment, that sifting can stem from that. But when we don't, we get into what's called the sacrifice syndrome, or what I like to call the F-words of systems. What happens? We each have different feelings about it. Some of us, when we're under high stress, like to fight. Now, I don't mean in bad ways. We mean, nya, 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 nya. Others of us, flight, run away, no. Some freeze. My father-in-law, in his later stages of Alzheimer's, he couldn't always put stuff together because those portions of the brain were being erased. So he'd come into a room and he'd just stand there frozen because he couldn't remember why he'd come into the room. So freeze, flight, fight, frenzy, do something, do anything. These are behaviors that come out of the sacrifice syndrome when we are not attentive to faithful living. And then one, Matt, that I hope you never have to deal with called fornication. That's a big F word. Here's the reality, though, folks. We get into behaviors that when we come back to our right mind, we look at it and go, what on earth? And it always stems from the heresy of the urgent, from the lack of attentiveness to those core practices that remind us of who and whose we are. And it's always triggered by an outside threat. So in those times of threat, of crisis, of pressure, when you don't have time to pray, then you know that's exactly what you need to be doing. So we are now going to look at a story of threat and crisis. The king, who has everything, continues to be uneasy, continues to be struggling with, um, with the fact that he, just as he has gained a kingdom through conquest, could lose his kingdom through conquest. And so that people might know that he is king, he builds this huge statue in gold of his own image. Now, you can only imagine the response of Daniel and his friends to being told to bow down to that statue and pray. So, I am going to ask our ever-faithful Mike man to um, travel around, and let's go ahead... And you know what, folks? We are going to read through verse 18. So go ahead and take a couple, take a pericope, a little paragraph, and then we'll get the mic passed around. So who wants to start off? And don't worry, we don't know how to pronounce the names either. Three. Chapter 3. Chapter 3, 1 through 18. Thanks, Dave. We are entering into temptation and challenge. <clears throat> King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold whose height was 60 cubits and its breadth 6 cubits. He set it upon the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. 
Then King Nebuchadnezzar sent to assemble the satraps, the prefects and the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the justices and magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces to come to the dedication of the image which King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Then the satraps, the prefects and the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the justices, the magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces were assembled for the dedication of the image that that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up, and they stood before the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And the heralds proclaimed aloud, You are commanded, O peoples, nations, and languages, that when you hear the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, you are to fall down and worship the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall immediately be cast to a burning, fiery furnace. <clears throat> Therefore, as soon as all the people heard the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, all the peoples, nations, and languages fell down and worshipped the golden image which King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Thank you. Accordingly, at this time, certain Chaldeans came forward and denounced the Jews. They said to King Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. You, O king, have made a decree. Everyone who hears the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, drum, and entire musical ensemble shall fall down and worship the golden statue. Whoever does not fall down and worship shall be thrown into a furnace of blazing fire. There are certain Jews whom you have appointed over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego. These paid no heed to you, O king. They do not serve your gods. They do not worship the golden statue set up. Can you feel the tension building? Uh, Wait, wait a Uh, Verse 13. Then Nebuchadnezzar, in furious rage, commanded that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought in. So they brought those men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar said to them, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my God, and you do not worship the golden statue that I have set up? Now, if you are ready, when you hear the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, drum, an entire musical ensemble to fall down and worship the statue that I have made, well and good. But if you do not worship, you shall immediately be thrown into a furnace of blazing fire. And who is the God that will deliver you out of my hand? Dad, you want me to continue? Um, No, let's stop there. Let's live in the tension of the moment. First off, I want to note that professional jealousy has existed since the beginning of time. I mean, think about it. Here are these Chaldeans. Here are people that were, had grown up in Babylon. And who are these Jewish youth that have been given all this responsibility? You can imagine that they've just been waiting for an opportunity to actually say, see, they really shouldn't be given all this authority and responsibility. They're not as good as you thought they were. There's no question that for each and every one of us, 
we can name those times when our faith has put us at odds with the culture in which we find ourselves. And for the three friends, this is one of those times. To bow down before an image of gold is as unthinkable for us today as it was for the three youth. There is one God and one God whom they serve, and they have absolute clarity about this. And they are prepared to stand faithful to God, even unto death, as we'll see in that next pericope. I'm reminded of the words that Jesus later says in Matthew, do not be afraid of those who kill the body, but those who kill the soul. Rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. What's interesting to me is they could have gotten away with their nonconformance had attention not been brought to it by those who really wanted to see them brought down. But even in the face of possible death, they are not compromising their faith. Such is the resolve born of their integrity. But you know, folks, if we go back, it's really important to remember, while we wouldn't have said the mind of Christ, we would have said the mind of God, that they had been attentive to those practices, even in exile, that held them in relationship with their God. And so also, it calls us to be attentive. What's also interesting to me is that for all of his power, Nebuchadnezzar lived in constant fear of insurrection. Such was the depth of his insecurity that it prompts him to question his identity and want something concrete in terms of both the statue and in terms of the behavior of his people to tell him that everything is okay. Where do we get our sense of significance? What does it take for us to feel secure? Let's read on and look at the three youth. Actually, no, I want to pause for a second. Let's take a little bit of table time and reflect on times of trial and how... No, we're going to read. Go ahead. And uh, sorry, let's read verses uh, 19 and um, 19 through 20 through 27. Then Nebuchadnezzar was filled with rage against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that his face was distorted. He ordered the furnace heated up seven times more than was customary and ordered some of the strongest guards in his army to bind Shadrach and Abednego and to throw them into the furnace in blazing fire. So the men were bound, still wearing their tunics, their trousers, and their hats, and the other garments, and they were thrown into the furnace of blazing fire. Because the king's command was urgent and the furnace was so overheated, the raging flames killed the men who lifted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. But these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell down, bound into the furnace of blazing fire. And let's pause for a second, because um, I had a start. Actually, we need to look at their response. 
Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, when they replied to the king, said, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If the God we serve is able to deliver us, then he will deliver us from the blazing furnace and from your majesty's hand. But even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold that you have set up. Do you feel the tension in that, folks? So let's go ahead and then um, pick up with verse 24. Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished and rose up in haste. He said to his counselors, Did we not cast three men bound into the fire? They answered the king, True, O king. He answered, But I see four men loose walking in the midst of the fire, and they are not hurt, and the appearance of the fourth is like a son of the gods. So we need to have just a moment to reflect on that fourth man. Um, John Calvin says in his commentary that God could have delivered the Israelites in any number of ways, but instead chose to save them by the presence of a fourth who looked like a son of the gods. And Calvin's sense provided a prefigurement of Emmanuel, God with us. The experience of the friends um, reflects the truth that the Apostle Paul is later to speak of when he writes that nothing, this is in Romans 8, nothing shall separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. What's stunning here is that, think about it, their clothing was left on because it would ignite faster. The guards who put them into the fiery furnace, which has been upped in terms of the heat, are killed by the force of that heat. Anybody who has ever watched the fires in California after a really dry season knows how quickly they spread. But the youth are unscathed, and they're brought out of the furnace. And Nebuchadnezzar is moved from rage, ultimately, to praise. So let's pick up with um, verse 26 and take it through the end, and then we're going to have a little table time. Then Nebuchadnezzar came near to the door of the burning fiery furnace and said, Shadrach, Meshach, and Amedigo, servants of the Most High God, come forth and come here. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Amedigo came out of the fire. And the satraps, the prefects, the governors, and the king's counselors gathered together and saw that the fire had not had any power over the bodies of those men. The hair of their heads was not singed, their mantles were not harmed, and no smell of fire had come upon them. Nebuchadnezzar said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and delivered his servants, who trusted in him, and set at, tonight, it set at naught the king's command, and yielded up their bodies rather than serve and worship any god except their own god. 
Therefore, I make a decree. Any people, nation, or language that speaks anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be torn limb from limb, and their houses laid in ruins. For there is no other God who is able to deliver in this way. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. So there we have an example of trial by fire. One commentary put it, this commentator put it this way, sometimes God delivers us from the fire that our faith might be built. Other times God carries us through the fire that our faith might be refined. And still other times God delivers us by the fire that our faith might be perfected. We live in a culture that has become expert at avoiding pain. But if we are to grow up into spiritual maturity, if we are to follow in the way of Jesus, then there is no doubt that trial and temptation are going to be part of the journey. As we've already noted, the core paradox of our faith is that death precedes resurrection. And so it should not surprise us, O oh beloved, that struggle and challenge are part of our spiritual formation. And oddly enough, if you think about Jesus' own baptism and when God's pleasure can no longer be contained, it is that axis on which the gospel um, moves is that it is precisely in those times when we enter into the pain of our communities, the suffering of our community, that God is glorified. Just as God has created us to live in relationship, I think so also God uses times of incredible challenge to tear down barriers to his love and his invitation to life. And the gift and the burden of free will, that free will that each one of us has, means that every single time, just as those three young men chose, so we must choose the path of faithfulness. The question is, will our actions testify to the faithfulness, or will we choose safety over God? In the end, whom will we serve? Yeah, John. Maybe his will to live that had to be an incredible faith uh, that this was the will of God, but that's a difficult thing, I think, to know that I'm better off surviving this and being there down the road as opposed to putting it all on the line, and that's what God's will for me is. So isn't a part of it, though? Um, it will I survive with my integrity? Will I be able to serve um, with a sense of conscience? Or indeed, will my surviving for another day 
um, actually mean that I am not the person I was before that decision. I don't think every deci decision is, um, you know, as, sh as sharp as this one is. Or mm -hmm. who have been tortured right. to make these confessions. Right. Example, I guess, uh, to know, really know what the will of God for us is. So, God knows what's in our heart. Indeed. And, and, you know, I mean, so, John, you sit on the bench, and there are times when you have to make decisions, and there is a lot in the balance of that. Um, and, you know, we just pray that we're being faithful to the decision that God would have us made. And sometimes it's clear, and sometimes it's not clear. And Because I had Jack Milligan up there to <laughs> correct me if I was wrong. Way to go, Jack. <laughs> But I think the real question for me is, if I yield to this, because remember, they did yield to a lot. They served Nebuchadnezzar. It's not that they didn't serve the king, but when it came to bowing down to another god, they let their no be no. So I think that, that practice of discernment, of sifting through, and it's not a one-time practice. It's not like, Oh, praise God, I've sifted through. Now we've, we've dealt with that piece of it. It's a daily encounter, and sometimes the sifting is easier than other times. So this is a really good question, though, and I want us to reflect at it through the lens of, um, in terms of some of our table conversation, some questions I've given you in terms of how does the story of the three friends inform our understanding of times of trial and tribulation? And and. How, what do we conclude about their character? And how might that inform us? So you've got questions in your books. Let's take the next five minutes, 10 minutes or so, and reflect on those questions, and then we can report back in, um, because then Dave's gonna challenge us with a practice for this next week. Tables. Our Mike man is now traveling again. <laughs> Boy, did he get a look. We're putting Edith on the spot. Um, is it on? Um, so we talked uh, about um, the, the awareness of um, what God is capable of doing but recognizing that that might not be the result. And so their, their faith and commitment to, that, to God, regardless of yes. what the outcome would be. Which is huge. Thanks, Edith. Well, we talked about prayer partners and whether or not any one of these three would have done it alone yeah. as opposed to the strength in the three numbers and supporting each other. And John got us back, of course, to the, where the will of God would be for each one of them as well as us. And did they, realize, did they realize something more important somewhere down the road? Or did they feel that this was the moment where they had to make that they couldn't concede Nebuchadnezzar anymore. Had to say, this is it. 
Yeah, so was this, um, just as Daniel resolved in terms of dietary laws, did, is, was this a piece of, no, they resolved, we will not worship Ten Commandments, any graven image. Ben. We talked a little bit about that as well and uh, kind of decided that it was the, the building up of time, that every moment sifting and thinking through. And um, Julie mentioned the uh, not eating the certain foods was one step in that process and then keeping going on. And so each day was the decision making. And so the big moment happened because the big moment happened, not because uh, it was just that one moment away from time. It was part of a progression of several moments, decisions, processes, thinking through, following the whole time along. Um, I, I had read something recently about Rosa Parks, for example, and we all know Rosa Parks for the big moment, but it wasn't just that one moment. She had been a part of this process her entire life, standing up, resisting uh, discrimination. And so it was all of the little moments that led to, in that one time, making the decision that was made. Same I process. That's really important for us to, to remember. It's our daily living that informs our lifetime living. Anyone else? So before we go to look at our practice for this coming week, we have two artists in residence. And Maddie has said that she will reflect with you on um, her artwork, and then would you mind if we also passed it around? So do you, will you talk with it while I, while I pass these around? Would that be okay? Or do you want to? It's the furnace. It's the furnace? It's the furnace. Isn't it awesome? Yeah. So we are so blessed to have our artists in residence. Aren't they awesome? Yeah. I think we should thank them. Yeah. Thank you both very much. So I am going to now hand uh, the mic over to Dave, who's going to challenge us. Challenge. Our table had an interesting discussion with that. Excuse me. First question. Life is full of challenges, isn't it? Yeah. Um, we wondered if, in fact, God was, does God test? Does God test us? And and most of us, I think, don't want to go there. Because if we fail the test, well, we know that's not a good thing. Failing tests is not a good thing. Um, it's also a form of judgment, if indeed that's the purpose of the test. The purpose of the test to see if we pass or fail, that's one thing. If the purpose of the test is something other, then we might open ourselves up to particular practices. Um, I look at Matthew 10. Matthew 10 involves all, uh, Jesus sending his, his disciples out into the world. And he says that there's going to be suffering involved in this. So he first says, so do not be afraid. Okay. Those are the words we like to hear when we are confronted with challenge or change. Right? Do not be afraid. But he says later, eight verses later, verse 39, 
Those who find their life will lose it, and those who lose their life for my sake will find it. They are the both, they're same things on two sides of a coin. Trust and submission. Um, when I think of trusting Jesus and, and doing those things, those, those practices that call me to trust Jesus, to let go of what, what I want and what I need, um, or even to trust an, an event that, that Jesus gives me, puts in my life, it seems to me I still have a little bit too much ownership of that. Ownership. Um, I can trust Jesus or I can choose not to. If it's not turning out the way I want it to, then I can either make excuses for myself or I can make excuses for God. But if we're going to look at the spiritual practice of submission, I think that takes us somewhere else than trust. The guys... Most of us are going to say they trusted God. They walked into the fiery furnace because their faith took them in that direction. Their obedience took them in in that direction. I want us to think of it slightly differently. I want us to think about it as submission. Submitting my desire or they, their desires to what God has planned. To me, those are radically different ideas. So, the practice this week is a simple question. In one sense, it's to ask yourself and and lift up in prayer and and maybe have discussions with, with people around you, you know, what in you has to die in order for that which Christ has to offer you, us, to come alive. Um, but I guess I want us to be looking at it not in the, not in the sense of trusting. Um, because trusting also puts us in the position of testing God. You know, either God's going to pass the test or God isn't. I'm either going to live another day to trust God or I'm going to lose my faith or some other aspect. But to submit to something calls us to a whole other ballgame. So rather than asking ourselves what has to die, which is a very wonderful question, I want to rephrase it. And that is... I'm challenging us to look at our lives and say, what must I submit to God? What do I have to hand over to God? Not that I have a given uh, outcome in store or planned out. That's a question of trust. But to submit is to simply say, take, use. Um... Is that clear? I mean, does, does that distinction draw anything to you? The trust submit? Um, 
I think even using the phrase in prayer makes a, makes a huge difference. And, and we have to confess, the word submit has some real baggage with it, so let's not deny that. Um, religion can be used to create as much funkiness in our life as it can righteousness. So um, let's understand submission here as um, truly seeking the will of God over our own will. Um, so what do you need to submit before God? What do you have to give up? Not so that you can get something else, but simply to be obedient. I'm going through this right now in my own life because I realize that things are changing in this church in <clears throat> excuse me, some good and wonderful ways. But changes are coming. And it means I have to give up certain ways of me being, of my being. Because this isn't about me, as Debbie said earlier. This is not about me. This is about God. What does God want? What do I need to give up? What do I have to say, God? Take away because you've got something else in store. Okay. Give it a shot. Shall we pray ourselves out of here and into the sanctuary? Gracious God, we give you thanks for Debbie's words this morning, for her challenges, for the questions she poses on our heart. And we lift before you the challenge we have this week of, of trusting you with word games. Move us beyond the act of trusting and into submission to the act of, of giving over, of handing to you that which you demand of us. Indeed, Lord, what must we let die? Not so that our will may be complete, but that your will may be done. Bless us now to worship. We may lift your name in praise and thanksgiving, that we may joyfully sing before you, that we may hear your word read and proclaimed, that we may again be sent back out into the world as faithful disciples of Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.